So welcome to the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today we're going to be talking about new ways of training our teams in healthcare and about improving our systems. We're going to be speaking with Professor James or Jim Gordon, uh, who is a great friend to the Harvard Macy Institute, about a philanthropic grant that they've received at the Massachusetts General Hospital and how that might just transform the way they approach training their healthcare workforce. But I'm going to start with talking about you, Jim. How are you? I'm great. It's nice to be here. Jim, James Gordon, professor, is an emergency physician like myself. He's a longtime friend of the Harvard Macy Institute, and as well as being the chief learning officer at the MGH, he has a long history as a simulation educator. And I can remember way back in 2005, some of my earliest experiences in simulation were with you down in what was then the basement at the medical school, uh, where you showed me a little bit amongst a group of other Harvard Macy attendees, where you were pointing out to us how you could manifest different kinds of heart attacks with your uh, mannequin. And I was so excited by it all. It seems like a long time ago now. Yes, that space was on the first floor of the medical school. It was the Surgical Research Laboratory, which was founded by Harvey Cushing in uh, the earlier part of the 20th century. And uh, so that's since been converted into a sophisticated um, training and skills lab. So um, it has been a long time ago and we've come uh, a long way. Yes, indeed. Uh, Well, let's think about your current job, Jim. And uh, now for those who don't know, Massachusetts General Hospital is a very large and esteemed institution in Boston, USA, and you have the job title of the Chief Learning Officer. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and a little bit, I guess, about the philosophy that you bring to that? Of course. So uh, my career really started in many ways as I attended the Harvard Macy Institute's uh, course when I was a fellow um, coming out of the University of Michigan, and I got to see simulation at the Center for Medical Simulation, uh, which as a group was um, a consortium that helped to educate um, uh, the rest of the Harvard medical community initially and the hospital community, and then subsequently uh, many folks uh, across the country and around the world as to some of the theory and practice of uh, healthcare simulation. So I owe a lot of my uh, history here to the Harvard Macy Institute and to the Center for Medical Simulation. Uh, And as I was working um, in simulation, both with undergraduate medical students at Harvard Medical School and the program there, and then subsequently became um, a person who at Mass General Hospital was working uh, not only with the medical students, but with uh, residents and fellows and staff across all professions. Um, I was asked to take over the role of uh, the learning laboratory director, and the learning laboratory at Mass General was uh, the initial consolidated-based faculty and staff group who helped to support simulation across a big hospital, about a thousand-bed hospital. And at that time, um, we were working very hard to understand uh, how evidence-based educational approaches could be scaled across an entire clinical workforce and uh, Mass General has about 25,000 employees of, I would imagine 10 to 15,000 clinical facing employees. So the learning lab became a way to understand how education across professions and disciplines could be implemented and scaled um, in um, a busy teaching hospital, which is um, part of the evolution of simulation uh, over many years, the last quarter century or so. So we were excited to be um, operating in that space. And then about, um, I would say about 10 years ago, uh, the hospital began a strategic planning process to kind of understand what were the 
goals for the future uh, for such a large academic health center, and in particular, how to leverage the history uh, and activity uh, that we had seen over so many years um, to be able to think about education um, in ways that would be most beneficial to our patients moving into the future. One of the comments uh, for such a big place like Mass General was that there were innumerable nodes of excellence uh, for education across the entire institution. And so if you asked um, who at Mass General do you talk to about education, the answer is you know 25 awesome people running 25 awesome programs ranging from uh, physician education, nurse education, pharmacy education at the student level, the trainee level, and then on to continuing education faculty level and, um, and on and on. And so one of the principal elements of strategic planning was to understand how we could make sure that all of these initiatives were connected to one another, uh, had a central mechanism for some support, and can be coordinated to be able to make sure that all of the great work that's being done um, could be recognized um, and in many ways uh, leveraged to more and more people. And so as part of that, uh, the institution created for the first time about three years ago this role called Chief Learning Officer. And uh, Chief Learning Officer doesn't hadn't previously existed at the hospital. And as you might imagine, it was borrowed from uh, both the corporate world, which traditionally uh, Chief Learning Officers um, uh, responsible for workforce-based education, but also because the hospital in many ways has such a university-like approach as an academic teaching hospital, this became a way to kind of meld uh, workforce with more traditional academic-based education uh, elements. And um, so the role of the chief learning officer is to support education across the institution, uh, across professions and across disciplines, and to serve as a coordinating entity or a convening entity for all of the groups that um, have been and continue and will continue to do such uh, fantastic work in multiple education domains. So in many ways, I have uh, I, uh, when I, I think of it as um, one of the greatest jobs in the world here is to be able to work with such wonderful people uh, and be able to then understand how we can um, connect everyone uh, to be able to make sure everybody's fully aware of the great work that's being done and to be able to reach more and more people. So this sounds like a challenge that is common to many institutions, even those not the size of yours, uh, and it involves trying to make connections across those sort of horizontal levels between professions, but also vertically integrated from the sound of it, right from the medical schools to the CPD. Uh, it does sound like it's a little bit of a cross between a cocktail party hostess and someone who might be refereeing a uh, title fight. Um, I imagine it has shades of all of those things. It sounds pretty hard even just to map where those areas of excellence are, Jim. One of the most exciting parts of the job is exactly as you described. Um, can we take the time to map out all of the different nodes here so that uh, for one of the so that we can begin to share all of the different opportunities to work together. And at diverse, uh, large um, organizations like ours, and as you describe, it's, it's no different from many large organizations to be able to um, articulate what are the different components and how they might work together as part of a matrix um, is really quite important. So I think, Vic, you've described it really well, which is that there's an opportunity here to Kind of take stock as the hospital has continued to grow of course over years and decades um, to be able to then orient as to 
what are the different elements? How have they uh, been addressing particular needs? How can they uh, complement one another in important ways? So I find the diversity here is uh, the fun part. Uh, and perhaps in many ways, it draws upon all of our experience in, in medicine and, and mine in emergency medicine is being able to speak with uh, all of the different constituencies, whether they be our consultant groups or our staff groups um, across multiple domains. So I find it a um, it's an exciting job. Mm, absolutely. And one thing that I think we'll come back to is it's one thing to have cooperation between disparate groups. It's another thing entirely to start thinking about people training as teams. And I know that's part of the project. So we might start to zero in on this. You received a philanthropic grant and it's part of a $50 million grant to set up, and I quote here, the teaching hospital for the 21st century. And in this case, it's going to be called the Lunder Learning Hospital. Um, what's this going to look like? Well, it's, it's uh, so exciting uh, as part of the um, uh, campaign for Mass General to be able to support our core missions. And so we were just delighted uh, to be able to receive this wonderful gift from the Lunder Family Foundation of Portland, Maine. Uh, they've been uh, longtime supporters and friends of the institution. And at this moment in time, as part of our capital uh, fundraising campaign, uh, education uh, certainly as one of the core missions of the institution became a real high priority. And so this was just a, a wonderful opportunity for us to um, capitalize on our history and our expertise to be able to begin to think about and execute on new models for education to be able to improve care across such a large institution. And so as part of this work, um, we'll um, begin to stand up uh, two interwoven initiatives here. One is uh, called uh, the Academy for Applied Learning in Healthcare. This is to be named for our longtime um, hospital president, Peter Slavin, who just uh, stepped down after nearly 20 years of service and really honors his commitment to individuals and education as part of teams to improve care but in particular to focus on uh, his commitment and education as a way to bridge all of the mission domains which are so important to academic medical centers across the world, quite frankly, uh, a patient care mission at the center, uh, research to be able to improve uh, patient care through science and technology, um, and then a commitment to the community. And so those three missions together with education forms the four-part mission of not only our institution, but many academic institutions of this nature. And education is viewed as a way to bridge the connections, uh, not only within the education domain, but education to improve patient care, education to enhance research, education to extend our outreach and connection to the community. And the Academy for Applied Learning and Healthcare, we'll call it the Slavin Academy, is really designed to be a front door for, the, uh, for education for the institution and in particular across professions. And this was the most important element of strategic planning for our group was to uh, specifically articulate that we're all in this together, taking care of patients and taking care of one another. And in healthcare in particular, we've had such rapid progress across multiple domains that sometimes it's very hard to be able to cross the silos because there's been such outstanding work being done in a very dedicated way and yet for patients, we know that uh, it's only the team that brings patient care together, both for the outcome and experience um, for the patient and the staff. So it was really quite important to us to be able to focus on interprofessional care across teams. 
And as we've moved into the era of um, team-based training across professions and patient safety and educational technologies have all updated the way that we can think of teams providing the best care um, in, um, in a large-scale way. So the question then became, there's a, another objective here of the education mission, which is not simply to train people at the home institution to then go out into the world and provide good care, but is to, and this sort of melds the chief learning officer world of workforce and academia, is to say, how do we use this opportunity uh, to be able to deploy educational and training strategies uh, for the existing workforce as part of lifelong training, not simply part of your schooling or your residency or your fellowship, but as part of your work uh, at the institution to be able to use those modalities that we know are most effective at improving outcomes uh, across an entire workforce. Just to really make this tangible. So uh, what we're used to doing is the surgeons going off to their conference and getting their CPD and then the CRNAs go and do something else and they get their upskilling. And then somehow we magically expect people to come together and be a great team because they're great people. And I think what you're saying is you want teams to train together and that this is going to be both provide a structure to do that, but also a physical space. Yes. And so, uh, and Vic, you've written a lot about some of this work as well, uh, to be able to then understand as we build uh, Slavin Academy for Applied Learning in Healthcare, uh, think of that as a faculty organizational home for interprofessional team-based work to improve quality and safety. Uh, but then, uh, as the complement to the organizational structure, we need uh, physical space to be able to work and train together. And of course, we always work uh, together when we're in the hospital. But in the last, we'll say, generation, um, hospitals have gotten so busy in many ways for all kinds of reasons and at different points in time um, that we all time off, often uh, we see practitioners who are moving from patient to patient to patient to patient to patient to make sure that we're serving as many patients as we can. And um, in, uh, in many ways, we're hearing and seeing that the ability to take a moment to teach and learn has become harder and certainly not impossible. And we have wonderful training programs that continue to train in the current paradigm. But as we see hospitals getting busier and busier, Um, for a whole variety of reasons, it begs the question as to how can you protect uh, some time outside of the line environment to be able to practice those things that require a protected environment, um, to be able to hypothesize or make mistakes or to be able to experiment. Uh, In some ways that can be done in a simulation or um, uh, immersive based educational environment. But of course, it's multiple modalities ranging from making sure that we can participate in uh, traditional, uh, whether it be lecture or conferencing, whether that becomes tabletop exercises or avatars, whether that becomes a simulator or a standardized patient. So one of the important elements here to capture all domains was to replicate the bedside. Uh, And learning hospital becomes a way that we replicate not simply an area of a hospital, Um, which is common for simulation and training centers, but to replicate the entire system. And the system here becomes, uh, in this instantiation, becomes uh, building a small version of a community hospital that has a a small emergency room and an outpatient clinic and a small uh, ward and a small intensive care unit, a small labor and delivery, small operating room, 
so that we can make sure that multiple uh, teams uh, can be working together just as if they do in the real world and then understand some of the approaches to scaling training together as teams across a system to be able to then improve care. But to pull them all together so they're all practicing together as if it were a functioning hospital so that the um, the aspiration here is to be able to make it so that the learning hospital is a place uh, where uh, people will come to work um, as part of a protected element of their job description to be able to uh, replicate and train together in teams. Yeah, and I think for the simulation aficionados in the audience and others, this is the logical step from thinking about how real is the patient or the task that teams are given to practice with to thinking about how real is the physical environment, how real is the system environment, which you're talking about when you're getting to team interface, and something I've been thinking and talking a lot about lately, which is how real is the sociologic environment or fidelity? Have we got the uh, recaptured team dynamics, hierarchies, power relationships, because these all exist when we're trying to think about how do our teams work better. So it's a sophisticated way of trying to capture all those elements of uh, challenges in our jobs and how can we reflect together on doing them better. So this is a lot about the the how, I guess, and I think you've described some uh, very multifaceted ways of addressing your different objectives. Can I also then maybe switch and think, how do you decide what to focus on? Do you look at the um, adverse events that happen at MGH? Do you look at other performance data? Do you just ask people what they think? Or are you still very affected by how much a particular training program needs to get accredited? Uh, tell me, how do you decide on your priorities? Because the list of things you could do is endless. Well, uh, Vic, as usual, you're right on target here, which is that there's a myriad of potential uh, inputs into the system here. And one of the reasons to create a system as we've described with both a faculty and staff organizational arm, think of it as an education unit or a teaching unit or a department, if you will, and then to be able to have the application site as the training facility, if, if you will, um, is for each of those uh, bodies um, to be able to defer to their constituencies. And so, for example, sometimes the work will come directly from the stakeholder who says, in the operating room over the last six months, we've had uh, these three elements which have cropped over somewhat recurrently. We know this because of safety reports. Uh, we also know it because of our town hall meetings. And so you would take the input that comes from a particular unit and say, we've identified that this is an issue that needs to be worked on. Now, that's not an unusual process. It's evolved certainly over the last 25 years in healthcare, but to then be able to translate that into a way that people can train together in ways that are uh, distinct from a traditional method, right? So a traditional method here might be uh, that everybody would be required to be able to review a PowerPoint slide and to be able to take a test, to be able to understand what the issues are. And that's quite valuable. Um, and yet, um, if you don't actually go through the motions, right, uh, uh, of trying to understand why this is happening with people in the same room, in the same physical space, not to the exclusion of digital adjuncts, but to the inclusion of them, then you can begin to imagine a world in which people would practice over and over again uh, uh, these elements that might contribute to why the system uh, isn't being able to uh, operate in the way, for example, that might have led to these safety reports. 
So that is an example of kind of a unit or department specific um, input. Uh, it may be that as part of a institutional uh, accrediting visit, um, an outside entity or the leadership will say, this is an element that we've noticed over and over again. Uh, for example, uh, we want to be able to make sure that the patient care experience when you're in the hospital uh, is represented in a certain way. And sometimes that might be um, a whole variety of kinds of um, interfaces with either the staff or the faculty. And so uh, we would target that. Uh, there also might be able to be, as part of quality and safety metrics in general, uh, an understanding of baseline performance in certain uh, areas, whether they be infection rate or whether they be procedural complication or whether they be length of stay, whether they be patient satisfaction. Uh, and that'll be brought to the attention of the institution from the either external or the leadership capacity. And so you hear me articulating, we aspire to have a flexible platform that would be able to have the same kind of inputs that we would expect of any organization, which would be both stakeholder driven, leadership driven, as well as uh, externally um, kind of a, from accreditation perspective. But your point is a good one. And uh, essentially, we want to be able to um, act upon those things that uh, individual faculty, their departments and the institutions think are most important, uh, and then to have a discussion forum to be able to move that forward. Yeah, and that's it just illustrates how nuanced the skill is here, both in that sensing as well as then the of deciding what modalities are the right ones. So what are the methods that are going to answer that? So just um, to take a little bit of a sidestep here, because I imagine a lot of people are saying, gee, I wish I could get $50 million. It doesn't just land on you, does it? And it sounds like it was been a 10-year process for the organisation to really even get to the point where you could say, this is what we need, which is important if you're going to be asking people for money. Uh, but can you give me a sense, Jim, what have you learned about the setting strategy and how to uh, engage with philanthropy from this kind of success or maybe from some things that weren't so successful that don't get so much news? It's a, it's a wonderful question, and it's been a really wonderful um, experience for me to both learn um, about the commitment of uh, so many friends and colleagues uh, to improving uh, healthcare at the hospital and, and, quite frankly, all hospitals. And so we have a long history of trying to understand uh, how to best engage the community, not only in providing that care, but um, going to that community to then support that level of care that might not otherwise be uh, supported through other more formal programs. This was really, a, as you have described it, um, a really thoughtful uh, kind of community gathering to understand what, what should the role of education be? How important is education to a place like Mass General? Where does it sit in reference to the other priorities of the institution and how to begin to articulate the value proposition? Because we want to provide excellence in patient care. We want to have excellent research. We want to have a, a, a tremendous engagement with our community. And we want to be able to use education to be able to not only enhance teaching and training, but quite frankly, use education to improve patient care to improve and empower research, to be able to improve and engage our relations with the community. And so this process has really, for me, been a way of thinking about education um, as a value proposition for all academic health centers, not simply because historically this is where you get educated to be able to become licensed to go out into the world and provide care, 
but because education at its core for what uh, healthcare does, provide good care, do research and engage with the community, the education mission is really an incredible asset to all of those missions. So part of the excitement here was to begin to um, articulate education as a critical value proposition, quote, rather than a, a cost center, um, and then to begin to build models that were built, as Vic, you've described on uh, so many other successful precedents, not only in healthcare, but in industry and expertise. Yeah, and I think it emphasizes that the performance of hospitals goes way beyond the credentialed professions. And I think that's one of the things that this sort of opportunity brings, isn't it, to recognize that there are many who might not be doctors or nurses or allied health professionals who no doubt are incredibly useful contributors to the team. Uh, I'm thinking the Porteridge staff who get our patients to the CT scanner safely and quickly. And you and I know that those people um, to be engaged in how we get better at our work is is truly transformative in many cases rather than just thinking that doctors and nurses are, are the people whose performance results in the patient outcomes. I think the other thing that you're describing for me here is a discipline a discipline about really thinking what is the return on investment for education. And you're you're saying very uh, nicely that there is a return on investment, but it forces us, as you say, to articulate that and to really reflect on uh, what kind of education has that return on investment. And maybe this is a, a good departure point for my last question, which is now thinking outside more broadly to the health professions education community. Uh, what do you hope will be the messages for them? Uh, what do you think we might be able to transform and change? Will it be along those lines of thinking uh, along interprofessional and interdepartmental education? What do you hope? Yeah, my hope is really twofold. And, and you started the first one, Vic, which is to say um, healthcare uh, and any other field of expertise, quite frankly, um, is, uh, is a team exercise. Uh, in order to be able to have the best outcome you need is as many uh, minds working together, uh, understanding and respecting their um, both specialty specific roles, but how they work together to provide consistent high level, in this case, care. And again, that's not um, a newsflash for anybody. This is uh, a long history of the evidence of organizational and team behavior to be able to improve care. And in healthcare, uh, oftentimes we um, require some of these individualistic and siloed based uh, opportunities to be able to hone a, forge a new discipline uh, and, and a new activity. So item number one is to sort of think about the importance of education to the overall outcome uh, of the product of healthcare, which is health uh, and taking great care of patients. Um, and then um, the other thing that, and again, that's true across professions. We want to make sure this is an inclusive education across professions to improve care. Um, but the next thing that I would hope for is uh, that as um, a gift of this magnitude to an institution with a history and size of Mass General moves forward, we certainly are eager for uh, input, uh, guidance, uh, assistance from the larger community who has advanced this field so much over the last 25 plus years uh, to help us uh, move through what is the inevitable process of learning how a big organization can scale these evidence-based technologies and approaches uh, over time, but also to be able to um, show 
uh, how investment in education uh, across the spectrum of uh, health systems becomes a really critical element to ensuring the success uh, and the uh, outcome here, which is excellence in patient care. We've done some really good work over the last 25 plus years to uh, improve care. Um, and yet there is a, a long ways to go to be able to continue to improve care. And education has oftentimes been viewed not as a driver of this quality of care for the system, but rather as um, um, an expense of the system rather than a core investment to be able to improve care. So, and we want to be able to serve as an example of how we as a large organization can learn from our colleagues, uh, both the history that's brought us to this point, but also other industries to be able to describe how uh, these kinds of investments are really critical to improving not just education, but to improving health care. Yeah, these are exciting times, aren't they? And I, I really like uh, both your points, but thinking about that first one, the, the real connection between education and performance of a quality and safety nature, but also embracing things that maybe we didn't think about as much 25 years ago, equity, diversity and inclusion, you know, consumer lived experience. And we know that education has such an important role in how we now think about those things as well. But I think the other great promise, and I'm so pleased to hear this, is really about connecting with that community who are doing some work and being able to be a nexus point for the expertise through the academy and through your activities in the learning hospital. We're so fortunate at our own institution to be able to benefit from the work uh, that you and others have done over so many years to get to the point where uh, we can begin to execute on some of this work with an evidence base that has really propelled us to this point. Uh, so we're really um, grateful to the larger community and eager for uh, collaborative input as we go down this uh, this journey here. So it's really been um, wonderful to share with you, and I appreciate being here. Well, Jim Gordon, it's just been wonderful. I, I, just for the people listening, uh, we will include your uh, promotional material there so that they can read a little bit more about this for themselves, but it won't match this marvellous conversation that we have had that gives some insights both into what you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, and then how you're going to go about it. And I think uh, we'll be very keen to check in in a year or two to see where the progress is going and to see what you've discovered so far and no doubt many lessons learned. So just thank you so much for your time, Jim. Well, thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation. Vic, I really appreciate your time and your expertise, and uh, we'll look forward to going down this journey with everyone together, um, uh, and I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Well, this is uh, Victoria Brazel signing off for the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. Mm -hmm.